What is happening, everybody? Welcome once again to the Everyday Missionary Podcast, episode 231, I believe it is. And I'm already making a change, all right? So originally, uh, or at least last week, I said, hey, this is going to be a seven-week episode thing. We're going to do like seven installments of this whole kind of undoing, untethering from our evangelicalism to get more to a Christ-centered perspective. But the series is going to grow a little bit because it was inspired by my friend Jeff Hansen. He is a pastor here in town at Adventure Church. He and I were talking yesterday and he said something to me that was so good. I'm like, man, I'm going to stop. I'm going to add that into the series. So the series is going to be eight weeks, not seven weeks. But I hope you appreciate that. Now, before I get underway with all of that, uh, I just want to say for the record, that I stepped in it. Yes, I stepped in it. I'll let you decide what the it is. Um, but man, sometimes I go into things and like, it, it, okay, let me step back for a second. Um, my my wiring or gifting is a little bit more, more like a, a visionary type of person. So I am terrible at keeping systems going in a healthy way. Uh, that's why I have my main man, Scott Thompson, by my side. He keeps systems going. He is awesome at that. He is the ultimate operator. Uh, I'm a visionary. I like to look ahead, see problems, figure out how we can fix the problems and let somebody else make sure we maintain the fixing of the problems. And so I'm usually pretty good at looking ahead, seeing what's coming and not, not letting that punch me in the face. But yesterday I did something that totally punched me in the face, did not see it coming at all. Um, and, and it was on Facebook. So I thought, Hey, you know, I, I just read this Barna report, uh, that was talking about how pastors are losing credibility in the culture because of the perceptions or perspectives that the surrounding culture has on pastors. And, and much of that is just related to, there's been a lot of bad press, uh, for ministries and churches and pastors in recent years. And most of that bad press is not what I would say is persecution. I would say it's leaders behaving badly. It's Christianity putting its worst foot forward, whatever it is. And when those things happen, it should be a cautionary tale for us to go like, oh, wait, if we're starting to lose a reputation in our world, we should want to consider that. And, and I always have my ear to the rail on that one because that's something that's near and dear to my heart that when we lose reputation because of our poor behaviors, um, that's on us and we need to course correct that. And, and much of my thinking there is rooted in first, uh, Peter, where he talks about the fact that, Hey, if you suffer for being dumb or bad or sinful, he literally is like, that's on you, man. That is your problem. That is your issue. And you need to just take your lumps for that and course correct and do something different. But if you suffer for righteousness sake, then he says you're going to be blessed. And so I always keep in perspective that there is persecution and then there is just earned bad reputation for doing dumb stuff, right? And so from that, I always want to take note of and take ownership of those times when we might do dumb things and not to duplicate those and certainly not to defend those bad behaviors in some context. So with that, pastors are losing credibility, ministries and churches are losing credibility as well uh, just because of some of these scandalous things that happen. And we as Christians should then say, I need to double down and make sure that, you know what, not that I'm being perfect because I don't think what I'm thinking of here is Christians being perfect or churches being perfect or pastors being perfect. But when you look at some of the high profile scandals that have happened, we're not talking about like, oh, that's just being human. Like, like literally we're, we're looking at things where it's like, 
to be the premier like apologist for evangelicalism and on the side you're opening up massage shops and you're sexually exploiting people that's not like a oh that's just to be human i think that's a major thing that our top apologist that's what they were doing in a global context as though they're not being closely watched or some of the largest churches in our country that train Thousands of pastors every year are teaching sometimes toxic things or just models that are so contrary to Jesus or voices like the largest like evangelical college in the country had its president disqualified and removed for all kinds of things that aren't just like, oh, that's being human. It's like, no, that's genuinely deeply bad stuff. And so it's just all of that where I look at that and go, man, we need to be aware and 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 from that just sensitive to the fact that the world is always watching and we want to have better behaviors. And so there was this Barna poll and then there was this video from Crack that I posted, uh, which is this satirical look at all of these different scandals that have gone on in the last like two to three years, all kind of truncated into one thing. And I thought, man, everybody's going to see this, watch this and be like, oh, yep, that's right. We need to be on our best behavior. We got to dig out of this bad reputation because, again, when we have a bad reputation for things that we clearly know are bad, um, that's on us to own it, to repent of that, to acknowledge to our world that, yes, that is that is not defensible and we want to do it different. So anyway, I posted all of this. Totally blew up, man. Just like super blew up. Didn't see it was coming at all. And and really blew up in such a way that I, by the end of it, I had some people saying, we're praying for you because you're going to stand before Jesus for mocking his church. And I'm like, no, I think we're going to stand before Jesus when his church was a mockery to the world. Like, I, I'm not mocking the church. I'm, I'm highlighting that this is the way the world is seeing the church right now. And if we don't change your behavior and if we don't start calling that out as like, no, that's not Jesus. That's not Christianity. We're going to have problems, right? Lots of problems because people are leaving the church, not because they don't like Jesus, but because they just don't see Jesus in the church. We see people that are like, I will never do church because I see what the church is doing at times and it looks nothing like Jesus. And I just know for me, I don't look at that and say, no, they're just mischaracterizing it all. I actually look at that. I got something in my eye here. I actually look at that and go, no, I kind of agree with some of their assessment. I don't agree with all of the assessment, but I agree with some of the assessment. And then for me as a pastor, I go, I want to do it better. And and I was thinking about this. Part of maybe why I I take this so much to heart is because I I understand something about my personality, which is there's, there's two facets to me that are kind of interesting. One is... As a pastor, I don't think, I mean, they're, they're out there. I'm not saying they're not out there, but I don't think I've personally uh, met another pastor that opts to be as transparent as I choose to be. So part of it is I let everybody know my crap, right? And then the other part of that is I'm pretty quick to want to take ownership of my crap and say like, yeah, that was wrong of me. That was sinful of me. That's a bad attitude of mine. And I want to acknowledge that openly and I want to make it right. And so I have these two gears, right? Very transparent and very quick to want to own when I've been stupid and ask somebody, forgive me for being stupid. And so that's kind of me. But I also know when I think about my 31 years in kind of pastoral ministry or training for pastoral ministry, that that's not always been the case that the the road to self-reflection sometimes, especially in organizations and systems, is actually almost the opposite. When we look at a lot of these scandals that have happened and everything else, there's almost a sense of like, we can't risk the reputation of the ministry, so we've got to sweep this stuff under the rug. We can't be transparent. We actually have to lock down transparency and bury it so that we don't get a bad reputation 
for bad behavior, right? And that's what's getting a lot of ministries in trouble and a lot of pastors and churches, right? So Mars Hill was sweeping things under the rug. The Southern Baptists were sweeping things under the rug. Sovereign Grace Ministries were sweeping things under the rug. I mean, it's not just the Catholics anymore, right? Like it's the evangelicals have been doing this for a while. Uh, you know, Ravi Zacharias's ministry admits that they saw things for years, but hey, he's doing good things for the kingdom and they swept it under the rug. So this is where, again, I think the value of transparency and owning our lack of fidelity is the most important apologetics tool we have at our disposal right now. Because the world is wanting to see proof that Christianity is real. And part of that proof of Christianity being real is its course-correcting capability that can have enough humility to say, you know what, we're going to flush it into the light. This is our problem. This is our sin. And even if we didn't do it, we're still going to repent of it because that's kind of the spirit of Nehemiah. And so Nehemiah was a dude that didn't do any of the sins of Israel that landed him in Babylon, but he owns all of the sins of his ancestors and repents for the sins of his ancestors to see freedom from Babylon, right? And so it's kind of that spirit that always is going to drive me. And so I walked into that one. Like I said, I got a lot of rebukes about how I'm being unfaithful to the church. And I'm like, no, I think this is incredibly faithful to the church. That's the point. I'm not going to be faithful to a sinful church, but I certainly want to be faithful to Jesus's vision for the church and Jesus' vision for us as missionaries and emissaries and ambassadors of his church. And that's why we do the Everyday Missionary Podcast. So anyway, I told that story at the beginning because it does bleed into today and give some of the spirit of what we're doing here and why I think why this enterprise is so important. Now, honestly, sometimes this enterprise wears me out. I, I would much rather just be a cheerleader and, 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 and not sound like I'm being a critic, but I don't think we can course correct without some level of criticism because I think we have to have our eyes wide open to where we've been, maybe where we're at. And then we want to raise our eyes up with vision and look to where we want to be. And where we want to be is like really well thought through uh, ambassadors of Jesus and really well thought through uh, owners of what it is he's commissioned us to, right? Which is why I always bring it back to like, hey, we want to really be scouring through the Gospels and looking at those from two different angles. One, we want to look from the angle of what are the warnings that we see in the Gospels about the tendency for religion to override the way of Jesus, right? And that's why I'm always bringing that up because I believe all that ink is spilled in the Gospels about the Pharisees and Sadducees because we're always going to be tempted to become like them again. That's always going to be the applied pressure in a religious context. In a non-religious context, there's different pressures applied. But in, in inside Christianity, its sinful danger within it is to be like the religious leaders, right? The other thing is then we're always wanting to map out what Jesus tells us to do and how to do it and the disposition we're to have in the context of that. And that brings me to the topic of the day, my friend Jeff Hansen, and the idea that he had based on a conversation we had yesterday. So let me see if I can recreate this a little bit for you. And I'm like, I don't think Jeff listens to the podcast. So if anybody knows Jeff and, and you listen to this, you'd be like, Jeff, hey, Matt used your genius uh, when you were commiserating together the other day. So uh, anyway, so we were talking about this reality that we're all experiencing in our community right now as pastors, which is there's a lot of transition happening with people moving away. And a lot of people are moving away to maybe Idaho or Montana or Texas or Tennessee or whatever. And, and, and 
so you can understand, and, and this is this is going to be a weird thing because it's going to come across a little bit like a criticism. I'm not meaning it like a criticism as much as I'm trying to share the emotions of us as pastors in relationship to all of this, and then what we're called to do as far as equipping the saints for the work of ministry and all of that. So you're getting an inside picture of a burden that that we've faced in this, and the burden is multi-layered. Now, one part of that burden is just people are moving away, right? So. We've gone through, uh, next month will be two years of, of COVID and mandates and lockdowns and policies and all of this. Uh, so it's been a long haul. And on pastors and churches, it's been super fatiguing around the country. But in the states that had more, um, like, like whether you call them severe or more stringent lockdown policies, those churches have had like a, a very unique ride. And part of that unique ride is that there's always this tension that is applied to a context like that. And for us as pastors, there's usually kind of two streams of thought on how pastors handle that. Some pastors look at that and they want to kind of stand up against the man and against the authorities and that kind of thing. The other group does not want to stand up against the man or against the authorities. And each side has different motivations for that. I won't speak to the motivations of the side that wants to stand up against the man because I wasn't on that side. So I can't speak to those motivations for myself. And I know in talking like with Jeff and with other pastors, the posture and saying, hey, we want to try to be a blessing to our community during this time. We want to bless our leaders. We want to bless uh, our neighbors. All of the, the motivation there was just that, right? That, that Jesus has a couple of things that he says about, hey, you need to love your neighbor as yourself. That comes out of Leviticus. Leviticus is all about uh, communicable diseases amongst many other things and how in trying to protect your neighbor, you're doing a loving thing. And and so we kind of made the link between the greatest commandment of Mark chapter 12 into the book of Leviticus, which is the first time we see that we are to love our neighbor. And all of Leviticus is really all these different rules and laws about loving your neighbor well, so you don't put them at risk. So we kind of looked at that side of it and said, hey, during this season, we want to go ahead and take these things seriously because we want to take the first commandment seriously. And the first commandment is rooted in one of the first five works of the Old Testament. So that was one element that was really important. Uh, and the, then the other element that was really important comes out of things like Romans chapter 13 and 1 Peter chapter 2, where it talks about our posture in relationship to civic authority is to be our same posture in relationship to God, which for some that's really hard to swallow. But Romans 13 is like abundantly clear on this. Like, like it says, hey, God has set up the authorities that are over you and to basically rebel against the authorities is to rebel against God. And so we're looking at this saying, if the greatest commandment is to love my neighbor and love my God, and my neighbor may be at risk during this time, and God says he set up government in, in such a way that to rebel against it is to rebel against him. If I rebel against government, I'm rebelling against God. Therefore, I'm rebelling against the first commandment in more than one way. And both of those things would be bad, right? And so from that, we kind of took the posture that we did that says, you know what? Hey, we're going to do things for the good of the city. Uh, we're going to really seek to be like Jesus during this time. We're going to be the sacrificial ones as much as we know how we can be without actually actively sinning against the clear command of the Bible. That's how we're going to do it, right? Um, but from that, that wasn't always popular with everybody, right? And not that you're going to win all the battles all the time or everybody's going to like your decisions, but it certainly wasn't popular with everybody. And as time went on, there was this other underlying thing that began to happen is that some people uh, who are Christians were looking at the whole thing saying, I'm, I'm tired of 
these policies, these mandates, these rules, these lockdowns, this this oppressive spirit or whatever else. And so I'm, I'm, I'm tired of the liberals that do this and I'm tired of all these people that want it this way and all these silly individuals that are buying into all this stuff. And so I'm moving away. So I'm going to move to Texas or Idaho or, you know, just I'm going to move to a place that does not have the same liberal disposition as the state that we're living in here in Washington, right? So that started to come up. And, and again, I want to be clear here. My, I'm trying to give you the, the, the way we as pastors were hearing this or having to kind of work through some of this stuff if we landed on a certain side of this topic. So we're hearing all of that. And, and here's where the burden then happened for us as pastors and really even this topic that I'm, I'm wanting to hear address today. The burden became that what, what the tone began to sound like is uh, I just... I just so can't stand my liberal neighbors who have these liberal policies in this liberal state run by liberal people. I just got to get away from all these liberals and I need to go off to a place that's more conservative. In other words, liberal neighbors are really tough to love, but I want to go someplace where my neighbors are easier to love. Now, I know in saying that, some people are going to like, no, but that wasn't my motive. And I go, right, I'm, I'm sharing what, what we were hearing as pastors when we're running it through the grid of trying to you know, make disciples and have us be thinking in terms of the Great Commission and, 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 and what it means to really honor the first commandment. All of that tone in there or all of those thoughts that were in there just kind of made us go like, man, what the, what my walk away is, is I so can't stand living here anymore amongst these people. I need to go to a different place so I can find people that I can actually live amongst and I can breathe and I can be, be, be free and happy and my kids can be healthy and whole and like all those kinds of things. And I get it as a parent, as a person, I want my family happy. I want my kids healthy and whole. I get all of that. But again, I kept then wanting to overlay that against but what are we called to in this world? And that brings us to not only the topic of the day, but the topic of this podcast, the everyday missionary, right? That what my heart is, is to say, A, we need to be missionaries. B, what a missionary does is enters into their context, a culture of some style or form and seeks to serve that style and form in, in their calling as a missionary. And the whole time they're doing that, they're weighing out, Hey, how is this faith of mine being perceived among the locals? And do I need to do things that are going to help better articulate, better share, better, like, um, display who Jesus is and, and do I need to pivot and, and, and help that process along or, or do I need to do things different? Like all of that kind of comes into play, right? So there's kind of the big sketch of this whole thing. And so the topic of the day is exiled missionary over American citizen. I didn't say versus because I want to be clear about this. I'm not trying to say you need to be an exiled missionary as opposed to an American citizen, but rather we need to be an exiled missionary over the priorities of being an American citizen. And this goes back to my conversation with Jeff, right? So um, he was hearing things when up at his church and I was hearing things at my church about people that are moving away because they're just tired of, sick of, burned out by basically 60% of the, the state population as far as the voting block and everything else and those who voted in the current governor. It's just like they're sick of all of that and all of those who hold to that. And he and I were both kind of commiserating like, how how sad it was like how sad that that if you really distilled it all down it's just like we would rather pick our neighbors than love our neighbors or rather we pick the right kind of neighbors to love as opposed to love the unlovely neighbors that were around 
and, and, and why I'm giving him all the credit in this podcast is because he says, he goes, yeah, it's really strange, Matt. He goes, because when I was a missionary, and I think it was in Albania, he goes, I did not go into Albania going, well, what are the politics of Albania? And how do my politics merge with the politics of Albania? And, and, and I, I, I can only interact with people to the degree that I agree or disagree with the politics that these people hold in Albania. He's like, I just went to Albania going, these people need Jesus. I need to model Jesus to these people. That's all that matters. It does not matter that I am sucked into the politics of the, the, the local city element or the, the national element or whatever else. He's like, none of that was driving me. I was free to not overlay my own desire for prosperity or happiness or security or whatever. Like I was unfettered from that. I only had one agenda. I was a missionary for Jesus in Albania and everything I did was then just completely guided by that. And it really struck me for this podcast because I'm like, if we're talking about being missionaries, that's insightful. Because I think one of the things that does tend to get in our way in our current world as American Christians is in fact our citizenship. Our citizenship, if, if you talk to disbelievers, and again, I'm a big fan of we... we we need to measure ourselves uh, ourselves against the perception of outsiders. And I know that might make some people uncomfortable, but when you read through like 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, or you look at the qualities of an elder in 1 Timothy chapter 3, or you look at some of the stuff in like Colossians chapter 4, you actually see that it is imperative that we consider the viewpoint of outsiders when we are then looking at our own lives because their perceptions, if it's rooted in things that we're actually falling down on the job regarding, Jesus is going to want to deal with us on that. So we can't just say, it doesn't matter what outsiders think because they're tempted to persecute us. Well, yeah, they are, but they're also tempted to criticize us for not living up to our ideals. That's also true. And one of the things that I hear repeatedly from outsiders uh, or those who have left the Christian faith is... Our, our particular brand of kind of uh, like, again, American citizenship, our particular angle on American citizenship is undermining or eroding the reputation of Jesus. And, and I, I'm not trying to say that in every way and always, but I'm, I'm saying that if we're going to be missionaries, we need to look at that and go, wait, are there places in my life or in my disposition toward my neighbors that I'm allowing my politics or my American citizenship ideals to be louder than embracing that I'm an exiled missionary. Because when I think about Jeff's story, I'm like, that is so brilliant because he only was operating off of the framework of being a missionary. Like that was purely it. So how can I look like Jesus to these people and I don't let anything else get in the way? And I can't help but think about in this space now, I go, that needs to be the attitude that we have. How can I let what I do be really just uh, is acting as an ambassador for Jesus as a missionary, seeing myself as an exile and a stranger in a strange land, more than saying, you know what, I'm going to let my citizenship in this land dictate some of my things and even over dictate some of my things at the cost of being an effective missionary. See, that's what we never want to let happen. And this is the warning Jesus has about being kind of earthly or worldly. We, we assume that worldliness is just overt sinfulness. But worldliness can be any time that we're letting the models, principles, or structures of the world dampen or weaken our missionary responsibilities. And therefore, uh, going back to my friend Jeff, I think there is tremendous power and value 
and trying to inhabit that space that Nehemiah once had to kind of, you know, the space he had to really live in and invade or or like Daniel, for example, or Esther. Like I love those stories in the Old Testament because all of those individuals have been stripped of their citizenship. They've been stripped of their sense of nationalistic identity and they needed to live as missionaries and exiles in a strange land. And in the context of that, they weren't outside of the political structure. They weren't outside of the social things. Rather, they came into those and they served in those. They actually brought flourishing and well-being and a sense of strengthening to the environment of their enemies. Like, think about that. Like, Daniel literally helped Babylon become more powerful. And when Babylon fell and the Persians took over, Daniel just jumped right into that and he helped the Persians become stronger and better, even though they were technically his enemies nationalistically. Esther, people are set against her people. And so she seeks to free her people, but within the confines of the system. And from that, she's also helping the system become stronger and she's protecting her husband, the king in the process, right? So all of this is true. Nehemiah, right? He's trying to get his people back to the promised land, but he's doing so in such a way that honors the very system that oppressed them. He doesn't try to fight the system, go against the system, but rather he serves the system as he serves his people. And this to me is the exiled missionary strategy, right? That we want to be looking at whatever context we live in and say, how can I bring good and flourishing? And how can I love my neighbor and represent my God well? And any bad perceptions they have, how can I course correct those so they have accurate and wholesome perspectives? That does not mean that you won't get persecution for it. You might, but at least you're getting persecuted for the right reasons, as opposed to getting criticized for the wrong reasons, right? That's what we want to be all about. And I believe if we can get to that space, we're like, man, that's right. I am a missionary. We will let go of then our frustrations with some of the locals. We will let go of being biased against some of our locals because of the particular views or vision points or perspectives that they hold about culture, society, politics, whatever. Because what's most important to Jesus is not our American way of life What's most important to Jesus is not protecting Western civilization as we know it. I mean, oddly enough, Jesus is an Eastern Messiah. I don't think he's all wrapped up in Western ideology. I really don't think he's wrapped up in that. I think what he's wrapped up in is, hey, are you being missionaries? Missionaries that love neighbors well. Missionaries that love enemies well. Missionaries that represent me well in your Western American civilization. Therefore, what I'm saying again is not that we're to be missionaries versus be citizens, but rather we are to be missionaries first in the context of being citizens. And anytime our citizenship wants to override our missional responsibilities, we put that citizenship right back where it is. It is a servant to our cause. And I believe if we can master that, if we can put our priorities there, set our vision there, set our commitments there, constantly every day judge, hey, what I'm about to do, what I'm about to say, what I'm about to comment on, does it represent Jesus well or does it just kind of feed my own desires and agenda for life? Like if we can do that well, we're going to be really effective missionaries in our context. But it means absorbing again the fact that we are exiles in a strange land. And our heart here above all else is to make sure we showcase Jesus and his kingdom values and identity well. 
that we don't let other things obscure that or get in the way of that, that we are concerned about his reputation in our society and that we lay claim to that first greatest commandment. Because I really do believe that when we stand before Jesus one day, there's a lot of things he's not going to care at all about. But he's going to want to very much talk to us about how we represented him. He's going to want to talk to us very much about how we obeyed him. He's going to want to talk to us about how we really try to set our sights on saying it was his kingdom and righteousness first and then everything else flowed under that. And that we really made sure above all else every day when we woke up to be humble, prayerful, thoughtful, and seeking of opportunities to say, hey world, if you watch me, you'll see Jesus and you'll see him well. See, I believe that is the place we are to put our attention and our focus. And the more we do that, the more will we be effective everyday missionaries.